Hi there, and welcome to the Praying Christian Women podcast. I'm Jamie Hampton, and today I get to be here with Brittany Ann, who is the founder of the ministry Equipping Godly Women. She is also author of Fall in Love with God's Word, Practical Strategies for Busy Women. And I'm really excited to get to talk about this. Brittany has a passion for God's Word and for talking about it, and I love this book. So Brittany, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to get to talk to your audience today. Well, before we get started, we'd like to ask all of our guests, what is your favorite prayer closet or um, Bible study closet or whatever it is, wherever you go to feel close to God and spend time with him? My favorite place to get close to God is probably just taking walks around the neighborhood. This is something that I started doing last year when we were in the midst of the pandemic and having kids home constantly and all of us in the same home. I am an introvert and I was like, I just need a minute. Um, So I started first thing in the morning, I would just walk out of my house barefoot half of the time and just take laps around the neighborhood so that I could have this time just in the beauty of nature where I could just think through, you know, what's on my mind, have a minute to think and bring that all to God in prayer and to just have that time to reconnect with him and refresh my little, myself a little bit before the day started. And even now that it's winter and that doesn't look quite the same, um, it's still something that I love to do as much as I can just to get out and take a walk. Yeah. There's something about walking. It's just kind of, so Alana, my co-host likes pacing when she prays or if she's on the phone or if she's thinking through a plot for her next novel. Um, and, and there's something about walking that is just so, um, I don't know, centering and, and helps you focus. And I don't know, for me, I'm, I'm the same way. I like when I'm walking and doing something at the same time as talking to God, sometimes that kind of just helps things to come into focus, but just being closer to God, I think being in nature and, and just like, I love that you said barefoot. There've been times in my life where I have felt so just the need to take my shoes off and feel the ground under my feet, you know, just a lot of times, those are the same times that I feel like I need to be close to God. And I think there's some like connectedness that happens when we're just kind of talking to God and, and in his creation. So um, I want to know how you, you very obviously are in love with God's word. I love that. I can tell that as, as I read your book, I just knew that you love God's word. You have a passion for studying it and for sharing it with others. Was there a turning point where you, all of a sudden something clicked for you or have you always loved God's word? How did you get to that place? I have always grown up reading God's word. I grew up in a Christian family. I grew up in church. And from a young age, I knew that I was supposed to read the Bible. And I did read the Bible um, fairly regularly growing up and went to Sunday school and Wednesday night church and all of the things. So it's something that's always been a part of my life. But then it was once I had grown up and gotten married and had children that it kind of took a back seat for a while because as a busy mom, and I'm sure that so many people listening to this today can understand and relate to this as well. As a busy mom, it's hard to find that time. And even if you have the time, it's hard to find the motivation. There's been so many times where I was too busy or I was too tired, or I just didn't feel like it, even when I knew that I had that opportunity available to me. So it isn't something that I, you know, since the time I was born have always loved God's word, but eventually I feel like I just came to a point where once I was running, equipping out the women and I saw 
I got into God's word more to be able to write all of these articles and all of the things that I was starting to write. And it started to come alive a little bit more. And I got to the point where I said, you know what? I call myself a Christian. I, you know, am a Christian. I want to be a good Christian. I'm going to be a better Christian. I want to have this relationship with God. So how can I do that if I'm not willing to make the time to be in God's word? And I understand some people genuinely are very busy and it's difficult to find the time. But for me, I knew like I could find the time. I was finding time to scroll on Facebook. I was finding time to be on Pinterest, but I wasn't finding the time to be in God's word. And I just drew the line in the sand a few years ago. And I said, you know what, this is important. And if it's going to be important, then I'm going to have to make it important. I'm going to have to prioritize this. I'm going to have to figure out how to do this, how I'm going to do this, because I don't want to be a Christian who's not in God's word. I don't want to be that kind of person. So back then I just challenged myself and my readers at equipping godly women. I sent out an email to everybody else as well. And I said, okay, here's the deal. I'm tired of this. I'm going to do something about this. I want you to join me as well. So here's what I'm going to do. I am committing every morning at 8am. That is the time that I am going to read God's word whatever that takes. And I encourage you to choose a time as well. And so it just started there where I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And it isn't a thing where as soon as you read the Bible for the first day, suddenly you're like, wow, this is amazing. And this thing ever. And like, because you've read it for five minutes, but it's a practice that as you do this over time, then you realize, you know what, this really does have so much for me. There's so much wisdom in here for me. There's so much encouragement and hope, and you can hear God speaking to you, but it's not something that you're going to experience on day one, but rather as you get into God's word on a regular basis, then you can fall in love with his word in a way that you wouldn't have been able to before. Well, and I think it's kind of the same phenomenon as with prayer. It's something, it's a discipline that you start as a discipline, but as you uncover these jewels, like as you uncover these just, you know, revelations and you read a scripture and, and you sent, you experience God talking to you through his word in a, in a direct way that's applicable to, oh my goodness, that, that can't be a coincidence that I'm reading this and that it applies to the exact thing I just asked him about, um, like those are the, the moments, like the aha moments, I think that, that give us that fuel to want to dig deeper and to want to do more of the Bible reading. Um, but it does, it takes that discipline and that it's a balance. It takes that discipline to make the time, set the time, get into it before you can start seeing some of those benefits, I think. Absolutely. And I've experienced that in my own life as well. There have been so many times where I read something and I was like, yes, that was what I needed, but that didn't happen on day one. I had to get into the habit before I started to experience more of the benefits. Well, one of the things that I love about this book is I'm a very like list person and practical person and, and kind of a, um, I don't know, dissect things in a scientific way. And you do a great job of talking about these. You, you've broken it down into seven genres of scripture and nine lenses that we read them through. Did you come up with that? Is that kind of your original thing? Did you get that from somewhere else and bring it into the book? Or is that, did you discover those things and label them? Some of both. Whenever I write any of my books, I like to do a lot of research as well. So I'll start off with kind of, okay, brain dumping. What is everything that I know on this topic? And what are all of my thoughts? And I kind of compile that and kind of figure out, you know, what I want to say. But then I don't ever want it to be just like, oh, here's what Brittany thinks about XYZ or here's, you know, what Brittany, how Brittany does it. I really want it to be something that's going to be helpful to as many people as possible. So I'll start with, okay, here's kind of what I've experienced. But then I also went out and did a lot of research as well into the various 
various genres and the various spiritual lenses. So it really was a combination. Well, I think that it's really helpful because, you know, you talk a lot about the importance of context for scripture and using these, you know, using these tools to help us to pick apart how should we be reading scripture? Um, obviously for someone who's never heard of these genres or contexts or anything else, God can still speak to them, but there, there are some dangers to not understanding the context and not understanding the way that it was written. Um, can you talk about why it's so important to have these categories of scripture in mind and, um, and these different lenses that we read them through? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that there is a common thing that happens with so many women when we aren't in the habit of reading the Bible straight through. So you could read the Bible where you say, okay, I'm going to start in the book of Matthew and Matthew one, two, three, and go in order. But what a lot of us do is we don't read the Bible in our Bible in order, but we will read it in a devotional or on social media where we see these verses and they're completely taken out of context or even in blog post articles where they're like, oh, here's a verse that I found that supports my thinking. And when we read it out of context, it can absolutely change the way that we understand the verses. So for example, there's so many verses that people love to share on social media that are so encouraging and wonderful and helpful. Like for example, Jeremiah, where it says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And it's so easy to think, okay, well, I know this one snippet of the Bible says this. So that must mean that it applies to me exactly how it was written. That this verse, when God says, I know I have the plans for you. Well, that must mean he knows the plans I have for you, Brittany, or I know the plans that I have for you, Jamie. But we have to remember the Bible wasn't written to Brittany. There's no book of Paul to Jamie. There's no book of Paul to the church in the United States. That isn't a thing that the Bible is. The Bible was written a long time ago, thousands of years ago as letters and as poems and as stories. And it's not just one this is a textbook that's going to tell you everything you need to know. There's so much in it. So as we're reading through the Bible, we have to pay attention to which genre are we reading. If it's a narrative portion of the Bible, which a narrative just means a story-based portion of the Bible. So for example, in Genesis, where it will tell you the story of Abraham, or it will tell you the story of Adam and Eve. In the narrative portion of the Bible, well, it's just telling a story. This is describing what's happening. It's not necessarily prescribing what we should do today. It's describing what they did back then. So we could look at this and we could say, okay, Abraham did X, Y, Z thing. That doesn't necessarily mean that's what I need to do today, but we can learn lessons from that without saying, oh, this is exactly what I need to do. And the same with so many of the other verses that we read from the Old Testament where it says, oh, well, the Lord promises to bless you. Well, those are written to the Israelites, not to me. Now, God definitely has blessed me in a lot of ways and will continue to, and for everyone listening as well. But we can't say, oh, well, God said, I will bless you in a specific verse in the Old Testament that was written to the Israelites and say, oh, well, because God promises that he would bless, that means that he has to bless me or else. Right. And um, there, there are other examples too that you pointed out in your book. Can you give us what, maybe one more example of something that could be taken out of context due to the genre that it was written in? I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot. Oh, that's okay. I'm just trying to think of, you know, what is a good example to give. 
Um, I know one common one is the verse that Paul wrote that says women should be quiet in the church. This is one that has been used so many times to say, oh, well, women have to stay in their place and women can't, you know, do XYZ number of things. And I am not getting into whole theological debate on what women or men should be doing because the Bible doesn't ever tell us, okay, here are exactly the roles that a woman should do. And here are exactly the roles that a man should do. The Bible never writes that for us. But instead what happens is a lot of people will take one verse out of context and they will say, oh, well, this specific verse says this. And so now this is how we need to apply it with out taking the time to think, okay, Paul wrote this to a very specific church. This wasn't Paul's letter to everyone. This was Paul's letter to that church. And here's what he told them in their church that they needed to be doing. Now, there's a lot that we can learn from that, but we have to keep in mind, okay, what was that church struggling with? What was going on at that time? What were the cultural forces and the cultural influences and the background that was going on that are going to shed more light into that history? So to give an analogy, say, um, somebody came up to you and I don't know you well enough to say, a, are you a workaholic or are you lazy? I'm not going to make any assumptions either way, but <laughs> let's just say we have no idea. You could be this raging workaholic who never stops, or you could be totally lazy and just laying around all day. No idea. So if my husband wrote to me a letter that says, Hey, I think you're working too much because I do tend on the working too much. And if my husband wrote to me a letter that said, Hey, I think you're working too much. And I think you need to like, make sure your priorities are in order, make sure that the kids are well taken care of. And maybe that would be something that would be appropriate for him to write to me, understanding our family dynamics, understanding my personality and his personality and the ages of our children. So if my husband wrote a letter to me saying, hey, Brittany needs to do this thing. And then somehow it got preserved for hundreds of years. And you and my realistic or ridiculous example here are now hundreds of years later. And somebody finds this letter and you say, oh, well, this says Brittany needs to work less. So that must mean I need to work less. Well, maybe, but maybe not. There's an underlying principle there that says women and men should work an appropriate amount. And there's a lesson that we can learn from there without exactly saying, well, this said Brittany needs to do this, or this says the Corinthians need to do this, or this says the Romans need to do this specific thing, which that may not apply to us as closely today. Once we understand, okay, what was the general principle here? What was he really trying to convey? Like, what is the overarching message? Not just, he said, these people had to do these, these specific things. So that means we have to as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, I know specifically the some of those detailed instructions that Paul gives to women in certain churches in the letters to the churches can be used by some people to discredit the Bible and say, well, you call yourself a Christian and you say the Bible is true, but well, why do you wear jewelry? Why do you not wear a head covering? Why do you cut your hair and things like that? And um, I think that is a very important thing as Christians to know is why we don't do those things. It's not that we have discounted that part of scripture. It's because it's contextual. And um, yeah, that is, that's a very important point. Um, so when it comes to these different um, genres 
and, and the nine lenses, we can't talk about all of them. And that would kind of spoil the book for people. So we won't do all of them, but could you just kind of list out those seven genres and the nine lenses and what they are, um, what they, what they are. And you go into a lot of detail about how they can be used and how we can apply them in your book. All right, so if you have a copy of the book, these are all included in the book, but the different genres of the Bible, there are seven of them, and they are the narrative genre, which is basically the stories of the Bible. So like I mentioned before, the story of Abraham, the story of Moses, the story of David. There's the law, which you'll find a lot in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, where God gives the Israelites the law. Here is how I want you to worship in the temple. Here's how I want you to run your country. Um, There's the poetry genre, which is kind of how you would think of a hymn book today if you still have those in your churches. But basically it's a collection of poems and songs that they would have written and sung years ago that have been collected for us. Um, The next one is the wisdom genre, and that is a collection of just beautiful wisdom. We find this a lot in the book of Proverbs, where it has a lot of the wise people will do this and fools will do this. And that helps us understand, okay, here's how we should live and here's what we should avoid. There's the prophecy genre, which is a huge chunk of the Old Testament, where the Old Testament prophets would give warnings to the people and they would say, hey, to the Israelites, if you behave this way, God will bring you consequences. This is what's going to happen. We are warning you. We are telling you right now. But if you behave this better way, this good way, then God will give you blessings. So this, again, is another area where this was written to the Israelites, but it still has application for us today. Um, The next one is the epistle. We see this throughout the New Testament, and this is the letters that the traveling missionaries, namely Paul, wrote to the various churches. So, for example, the book of Romans is Paul's letter to the to the church in Rome. Um, The book of Galatians is the letter to the church at Galatia. So we think of the epistles as basically letters that the missionaries wrote to the people to give them good advice. Um, Also, depending on which Bible you read, some Catholics believe that there are a few books in the Bible that are considered biblical novellas, which are basically stories that may or may not be factually accurate, but were written to be instructional stories to teach us a good moral lesson. Um, Not every Christian denomination believes that, but some Catholics do believe that as well. So I just mentioned that in the book for, you know, whoever is reading it, you can decide for yourself. Um, But as we read through these genres, that's again going to make a huge difference because if we're reading in a narrative portion, like I mentioned earlier, we're going to say, okay, I know this is a narrative portion. I know this is telling me a story. So when God tells Abraham, go sacrifice your son. Well, that's not a command that I need to follow today. He's telling us this is what happened. He's not telling me I need to go do this. Also, when we read about, okay, King David behaved this way that was inappropriate or Noah got drunk or whatever happened. Okay. It's saying that these people did that, but it's not telling us we need to do this today. Rahab was a prostitute. That doesn't mean God's like, yes, let's all go do that. That they're just telling it. This is what happened. All of the Bible characters you have to remember were real people, just like we are today. They weren't perfect. And the Bible is so upfront and transparent about that. So it's not telling you, okay, this person did that. So you should do it too. They're just saying, okay, here is what happened. And then we can learn some lessons from that. And the same with the other genres as well. We have to take the context into consideration. So for the wisdom genre, 
it, this is not promises and guarantees. So when it says, okay, if you live this way, your life will generally be better. That means in general, your life will probably be better if you behave these ways, but it's not a solid guarantee. God is not promising or contractually obligated to make sure that, oh, well, you did the right thing. So now I have to bless you with this job that you've been praying for, or I have to bless you with this baby that you've been praying for. He may choose not to, but it's just giving us general advice of, okay, here's the direction that I want you to go. Does that help answer that question? Oh, absolutely. And I think there's, I think there's a lot of freedom as you kind of unpack some of these genres and, and contexts. Um, there's freedom because I think some of our hangups as Christians, when we, at least for me, as I've gone through the Bible, a lot of the things where either it seems like either this is contradictory or, well, you know, well, like for example, um, raise a child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. You know, that's part of the wisdom scripture mm -hmm. of Proverbs. And um, there are people that raise their children as believers and look at that and say, well, you promised if I told them about you and raised you that they would never depart from Christianity. And then they depart from Christianity. And that is, you know, one of those things where, it allows us to reconcile some of these things, I think, where you can start to read the scripture in a way that that gives gives you freedom to um, to see them, the truth in them and and not necessarily have to hold on to, um, I don't know, maybe our earthly interpretation of what it should be. And I think that comes, you know, there are definitely promises in the Bible, but not everything that is spoken is a promise. I guess maybe that's the way to yeah. put it, but there are promises definitely that are irrevocable and applicable to everyone that is a believer, just not everything. And, and it's important to know the difference. I think that's, that's a great point. Absolutely. And I don't want to make things more complicated than they should be. And I'm not trying to say, okay, well, the Bible just means whatever we think it means. And so, you know, we don't have to follow what it says because we can think it means all these different things, because that's not at all the point I'm trying to make either. Most of the Bible, I think is fairly clear in terms of if the Bible says do not murder people, you're like, yes, okay, that makes sense. He was saying it to the Israelites, but that's still good practice for us today. We should still today not be murdering people. And so I don't want to overcomplicate things to say, oh, well, I know the Bible says this. And so I'm going to twist this and figure out maybe it means something. I'm not trying to give people a license to not obey the Bible because there's so much of it that is very clear. However, I just want to encourage people as you are that you don't just pick a verse and cling to that one verse, but that you read the Bible in context basically just means don't read one verse, like read in order in like large, read the whole book. Um, I mean, depending on where you're reading in the Bible, but read as much scripture as you can, because it's okay if some verses seem to contradict other verses because they're talking to different audiences. They're talking about slightly different things. And that's why you want to read these verses that seem to contradict. And that's one thing I encourage people to do in the book. If there's something that you're curious about, rather than just saying, oh, this one verse seems to answer the question. Okay, go look up. What are the other verses on the subject? What else does the Bible have to say about this topic? You you know, are there other verses that support it? If there are a lot of verses that all say you should not murder people, well, you probably shouldn't be murdering people. It says it several times. But if there is a verse in one place where it says you shouldn't do this, 
And then a verse in another place that seems to say something else. Okay, well, how do these fit together? So for example, of the verse where it says women must be quiet, so many people use this to mean, oh, well, women can't preach and women can't teach and women can't have any positions of leadership because that's just not biblical. But then there's another verse where Paul says, and I don't remember exactly where it is, it's in the book, um, but there's another verse where Paul says, I commend to you our deaconess Phoebe. So Paul has a deaconess who is a woman. So Paul obviously could not have meant that women could never hold positions of leadership. So we have to take all of these in context and read widely rather than just saying, oh, this one verse says, and that's all I need to know. Yeah, I think you bring up a really, really important point, which is it can be almost as, or it can be just as dangerous as picking and choosing verses to then go to scripture and try to justify things based on, well, it was written a long time ago. So that can be very dangerous as well. So I think, yeah, like you said, it's important to take the Bible at face value, definitely take context into consideration, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and just try to make excuses. I think we need to really look inside ourselves and, and, incorporate, let the Holy spirit guide us as well. Because I mean, the Bible says the Holy spirit is our teacher that he will bring to mind the words of Jesus, that he will teach us and interpret God's words for us. Um, and it's important always to invite God's spirit into Bible reading. And like you said, the more of the Bible, you know, the more context you have to bounce off of it when you know more about God's character and what he requires. And you see these different examples of when these topics are being brought in. I think it's, I don't know, a lot safer to come to a conclusion when you have the more information that you have. So what is a way that you would recommend specifically for someone who's never done any kind of Bible study like this? If they have, um, a topic that they're interested, um, like let's say marriage, they're, they're interested in knowing what God says about marriage. Like what are some ways that they can, you know, without scouring the Bible, um, word by word that they can go out and get more information about the topic of marriage and, and bring in more of those scriptures and verses to read for context. That is a great question because I know when you're first starting out and you say, okay, I want to know more about this topic or that topic, the idea of searching the entire Bible, like, oh, I have to go read every single word. That's completely overwhelming. And that's not what we're saying. I mean, please do read the whole Bible over, you know, the course of however long it takes you. But in order to research a specific topic, we want to be a little quicker than that. So one of the things that I would suggest is first to compile as many verses on the topic as possible. And some of the easiest ways to do that are if you have a Bible, like a study Bible that has a concordance in the back, sometimes they will give you lists of verses that contain a specific word. So for example, if you are trying to look up marriage, you might look up the word marriage or married or whatever versions of that you could find. And then it will tell you every place this is in, and I'm making this up, Genesis five, this is in wherever. Um, and you can go then look up all of those verses, maybe get a sheet of paper and write them down. Okay. This verse is telling me this, this verse is telling me this and write them down and kind of compile them that way. If you don't have a study Bible, that has that in the back. Um, some of them also will have an index of articles or index to subjects. So you'll see this a lot in study Bibles as well, where they 
If you are searching for a topic where that exact word may not be in it, but a lot of study Bibles will have little articles or more information like sidebar notes. If you look up in an index to articles or index to subjects, you can find information that way, or you can just get on Google and say Bible versus about XYZ topic. And I have done this so many times because there are whole websites devoted to you just search for it and it will give you this whole long list of like a hundred different Bible verses all about this specific topic. And most of them will include the word, but some of them will be verses that don't even include that word, but are related. So as you look through these Bible verses, not all of them will be applicable. And you kind of have to filter out the ones you were like, oh, that's not really what I was looking for. But you can find at least a handful usually of, okay, here is what it has to say on the topic. Here are some really good verses. Um, another place you can look in your Bible, sometimes they have cross-references. So if you look up something and you're reading in your Bible and you have, you found a verse, oftentimes, sometimes they will have like a footnote where you can go down to the bottom and it will say, oh, here is another verse you might want to check out. And those are really helpful as well to go on that rabbit trail to see what other verses are related. And you can also do this on biblehub.com. If you have a verse where you say, okay, I know this verse says this, what other related verses should I know about? And if you look up that one verse and it will say right on the right-hand sidebar, here are related verses that you will also want to look up and you can go look it up that way. Or also on Bible Hub, when you scroll down, it has every individual word in that um, verse. So you can go click on the individual words. So for example, you're writing you're reading this verse and it has the word love in it. And you say, okay, I want to know where else the Bible talks about love. So you can click on the word love and it'll bring up the list of verses that also contain this exact same word in the original Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic, whatever it was written. But um, that's a lot of great ways to find just tons of verses. Now, don't let that overwhelm you. They're pretty quick to just read through and they're not all going to be applicable. So just write down the few that seem like they would be most helpful for you. Um, you can also look up articles online, you will want to check the source because anybody can write an article online. So just because somebody says something online does not mean it is true, but you can look up multiple articles, see what different perspectives are out there. If you see the same thing being repeated lots of times or by people who seem to know what they're talking about, you're going, you know, that's going to be more trustworthy than some random person who's like, oh, I think this thing that has no support, you know, see how they support their argument as well. What other verses are they leaning into? So it just can be a lot of fun, like a treasure hunt to get in and see, okay, what verses can I find? What verses have other people found? You can ask friends and family. I have people who will text or message me and say, hey, I'm writing an article about this or have a question about this. What do you think? And how you said earlier, like the more of the Bible, you know, I find that I'm like, hmm, I never even thought about that question before, but it brings to mind this verse and this verse and this verse. So having friends who are Christian, who you can ask or a pastor or a women's ministry leader, you know, what do you know about this topic? And they can often point you in the direction of, oh, here's some verses you should look into as well. Yeah. And if you're a words person and a research person, you could get sucked in. I mean, it could be, you know, definitely um, a fun journey to go down those little rabbit trails and find things. And I think, like you said, finding, um, you know, not all information is equal. And I think as you go and maybe even asking a pastor or friends that know a lot about the Bible um, or more, more than we know, you can start to find people that you trust as far as commentaries or websites, you know, that are, that are reputable, that aren't going to be the wacko, like, whoa, that's, that's out there. 
Yes, I've come across several of those. And I have to usually tell pretty quickly when you're like, wow, they have a perspective that they really want to share with the world. And good for you. But let's <laughs> keep looking and maybe we'll see four out of five Bible scholars recommend this theory. So that's what we're going to go with. Well, another thing I really love about your book is that you have this entire chapter that's dedicated to creating your perfect quiet time plan. Um, I think it's so important. And, you know, Alana and I on the podcast have talked a lot about creating your prayer closet or creating a, a, a routine to spend time with God. And, um, you know, what we found personally and what I know a lot of women have shared is that a lot of women want to have a regular quiet time, want to read the Bible, want to pray. And they, they start off to have a quiet time, but then they just get frustrated or quit. What are some of those pitfalls that you have found that women have encountered that might cause them as they're setting out to, to do this regularly, that, that might make them get frustrated or want to quit? Absolutely. And as I started researching the book, this is actually where I started and was the original topic of what I was planning to write before we expanded into all of the things that is in this book. But what I started with was I had sent out a survey to my Equipping Godly Women readers and I said, okay, I know so many of us have said we want to read our Bible, but we're not doing it as often as we like. So will you please just be so honest with me? And what is it specifically that's holding you back? And I got so many responses from these amazing women who were just so blunt say, this is exactly what it is. I am dealing with this, or I'm struggling with this. This is what's getting in my way. And as I read through each of these responses, I found that there were seven big ones that kept coming up again and again and again. And I have a whole chapter in the book dedicated to, okay, which of these seven things is your struggle? And if so, here are very practical tips. Here's what we're going to do about it. So the seven things that I found are the most likely to keep women from reading and loving God's word. The first one is busyness. As Christian women, we are busy. We have so many things going on in a day, whether we're working or staying home. If we have kids taking care of a house, we have a puppy, we're volunteering, whatever it is, we are busy. So many things to do. The second thing is tiredness. So even when we have a minute, we're just tired. And I know that this is my experience sometimes as well, definitely busyness, but then also tiredness by the time nine o'clock at night rolls around, I have time. I don't have the energy. So that's another thing as well. Okay. I have the time, but I'm too tired. I don't want to add another thing to my schedule. Um, the third one is a lack of motivation. So many women replied to me and they were like, honestly, I'm just lazy. I don't feel like it. And I was like, okay, your word's not mine, but yes. How often do we say I have the time I have the energy, but I don't feel like it. I would rather scroll on my phone. I would rather watch TV. I would rather read any other book. We will read stacks of so many amazing Christian women, like Christian living books, but are we reading God's word? Um, the fourth one is we get distracted, whether that is external distractions from children making messes and my kids are still fairly young. Um, so I know all about that tracking mud in the house, slamming doors, stomping around, or if we have internal distractions, we sit down to read God's word. We want to read what it says, but our minds are just on a hundred other things like, oh yeah, I need to take the check to the bank. Oh yeah, I need to get this from the grocery store. So we're completely distracted. Um, the next one is forgetfulness. So we say we're going to read the Bible. Maybe we sign up for a Bible reading plan where we say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And we do it for a few days and then we totally forget. And this is completely happened to me plenty of times as well. We want to, but we just forget. 
Um, the sixth one is a lack of biblical knowledge. This is one I see a lot from people who didn't grow up in the church. So they want to read the Bible, but they're completely overwhelmed. Where do I start? I don't know where to read. I don't know how to read. None of this makes sense to me. And I mean, I am hoping people are not turned off by our conversation earlier where they're like, oh no. And now as I read, I have to figure out and do all this in-depth study to even figure out what to do with this. So that is a huge obstacle as well. Okay. I don't know how to read. And once I do, I don't know how to apply it. I don't know what to do with this. And then the last one is a lack of intimacy with God. So you have to remember that the Bible is not just a textbook or a novel that somebody wrote once upon a time. And now we just read it and get all the information. Instead, the Bible is the way that God speaks to us. He speaks to us through his words. So you and I could read the exact same passage and God could encourage you in one way and challenge me in a different way. And if we are in a place in our relationship with God where we are not able to hear him speaking, maybe because in the past he's told us to do something and we have told God, no, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to obey you. And that's caused a break in our relationship with God that can absolutely affect our ability to read the Bible. When we feel like we're reading it and we're not getting anything out of it because we can't hear God speaking in the way that we should if we didn't have this sin in our lives. So those are the seven most common reasons I've seen. Obviously there are others, but these um, hold so many women back from reading God's word. Yeah. As you read through the list, just about all of them, I was like, yep, yep. Been there. Yeah. That's me. Yep. (laughs) Well, do you, um, do you have advice? So if someone is just like, okay, this is the day I'm going to do it. I want to, I want to read the Bible. I want to make it happen. Kind of like you were back in the day when you got inspired to, to begin this journey. What is step one that you would give to a woman that that's right there that wants to start studying God's word. I would say step one is prayer just to go to God, honestly, and say, God, this is something that's important to me. This is something I want to do. Um, I know it's not going to be easy. I know I'm going to struggle with it, but will you please help me? Will you give me the time? Will you give me the desire for your word? Will you speak to me through it? And just asking him because God wants to give us the experience and the relationship with him in his word. So going to him first and saying, you know, God, please, would you help me understand what I'm reading? Would you help me know what to read? Would you please show me or bring to my attention resources that I know of, that I've heard of that can help me and going to God and asking him in prayer. And the second thing I would say is to figure out what it is that is holding you back, whether that's one of the seven things we talked about or something else, because what you're going to do from there is absolutely going to depend on what it is that's holding you back in the first place. So for me, I found that busyness was my number one thing because I like to be busy. I like to have a billion things going on all at once. And I still do. And that will probably never change. Um, I like to do all the things. So for me, I knew what I needed to do was put it on my calendar. 8 AM. That is the time block it off. That's the time. Now that doesn't mean to this day, I don't obsessively like make sure because now I've done it for so long. It's kind of a habit. So this morning I actually listened to my Bible while driving home from dropping the kids off from school because I knew it was a busy day. I knew I had a lot of things going on. So I did something a little differently and that's fine. The point isn't to create like, this is my routine. I will keep it this way until the day that I die. Like this is it or nothing, or I'm a failure. It's really about, okay, what are the things holding you back? What practical strategies can you do to make it a little easier for yourself? And you come up with a plan. Okay, here's what I think. Here's what I think will work well for me. And I walk you through this whole process right in the book. But okay, when do you think would be the best time for you? When are you awake? When are you alert? When would be a good time when you could pay attention? 
and where would be a good place for you to be? Should you read at the living room on the couch? Should you read at the dining room table? Or is that going to be way too distracting for you and you need to go somewhere else? So where and when and figure out all the details and try that out. And if it's not working, rather than saying, oh, okay, I can't do this. I'm a failure. I messed up again. Just to say, okay, I tried that. That plan didn't work. That was my plan. Something wasn't right about that. So how can I tweak the plan? What one small change can I make so that maybe that plan would work better? The problem's not that I'm a terrible person or a failure. The problem is this plan wasn't the right plan for me. So, okay, what plan would be a better plan for me. Is the issue that I'm too tired and I'm not waking up when I said that I would? Okay, so let's choose a different time. Is the issue that I'm too distracted because my kids keep running in and out? Okay, so how can I address that area specifically? So depending on what it is that is keeping you from God's word, once you can figure out what that is, then you can take some practical action steps, which of course I include so many of in the book. But okay, here's how you figure out, this is the problem, here's what I should do about it. That's great advice. And I just, I think that the idea of sometimes we feel like we have to stuff ourselves into a box and have this quiet time that we picture as being like the good Christian quiet time when God created us differently and, and being in tune with how we operate. And, you know, just because you get up at five 30 in the morning and do your quiet time, doesn't mean that I'm going to be able to do that as a non-morning person or someone else might pray you know, for hours in their quiet little living room. And then a mom with young kids doesn't have that luxury. <laughs> so, you know, we're all different and, and tuning into God. I love that you said prayer was the first step because I think God knows he knows what's best for you. He has, you know, he's pretty creative. <laughs> and I think if we're open to praying outside the box, to reading and quiet time outside the box that, that we could really, um, I don't know, have, have a breakthrough in our, in our planning of our time with God. Absolutely. Well, we are just getting like, we're, we're to the end of our time. We're kind of approaching the end. I have some other things I wanted to talk to you about, but um, I guess we'll just kind of close up with what is your biggest prayer struggle and what do you love most about prayer? Those are really good questions. My biggest prayer struggle in terms of what I struggle with with prayer? I guess kind of what you asked people about their Bible reading, like what is it, what is the biggest barrier that keeps you from praying or that keeps, uh, keeps you praying, uh, or having, having a, a ideal prayer life. Absolutely. For me, it's distraction because I love to pray throughout the day. I think it's so valuable to have that time set aside when, like you said, this is my time I'm going to go set aside. And I do that with the Bible. But when it comes to prayer, I tend to just pray all day long. Anytime that I'm stressed about something, I just take it to God in prayer. When I go for a walk and I take the dog on a walk, I just start praying. Or if, you know, something's going on in my family, I start praying. And so I do pray all throughout the day, but they almost always end up with me starting to talk about something. And then just trailing off like, oh yeah, I got to go do that other thing. And then something else pops into my brain. So for me, it is absolutely getting distracted. And so the thing that would probably be the most helpful for me is to write out a prayer list. These are the things that I want to talk about, um, that I want to bring to God in prayer. And then making the time to sit down and focus on that probably with my Bible reading time, rather than only praying all throughout the day. Yeah. 
That's our number one. That's the number one response that we get um, from whenever we do polling of what's your biggest prayer struggle distractions is the number one. And it makes sense. We live in a very distractible world. And um, yeah. What do you love most about prayer? I love getting to connect with the God of the universe, Mm -hmm. because it's so amazing that the God of the entire universe who created me, who loves me, who knows like everything from creation on to like, he knows everything that's going to happen to me for the rest of my life. He knows every good decision that I should make. And he knows every bad decision that I probably will make. And he knows everything in between. And I have the opportunity at any time, anywhere, no matter where I am to go to him and just to say, here's what's on my mind. Here's what's on my heart. Like, what do I need to know today? And he knows all the answers. He's like this giant answer key in the sky, obviously a lot more than that, but I can go to him and I can say, Hey, what choice do I need to make today? Like, what wisdom do I need for this? Like, what direction should I go? How should I approach this topic? What should I do here? And God, please help me to love my kids. Well, please help me to lead my community. Well, please help me to love my husband. Well, and just thank you. Thank you for all of the things. So just having that relationship with God, where it's not just a, here's my list of demands and requests, but to have this relationship with the most amazing being there ever has been, ever will be. I mean, it's God to be able to approach him at any time to talk about anything. I think is just amazing. I know every time I think about it that way, you know, you get, you catch this glimpse of who God is and, and this gift that we've been given. And then I'm just, I, I think, how can I look at prayer as a chore <laughs> when you think of it that way? Cause we do, we get to the point where we think, Oh, I've got to, I need to pray more. I need to pray more. But you know, when we have the, the audience of the King of Kings, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Well, where can our listeners find equipping godly women and your book and find you on social media? Well, thank you. Um, the best place to find me is on my website, equippinggodlywomen.com. And I'm equipping godly women on all the socials, so I'm very easy to find. But the best place to find information about fall in love with God's word, specifically if you are someone who is saying, okay, I want to spend more time in the Bible. I really struggle to get into this habit. The best place to find more information about the book is at fallinlovewithgodsword.com. And you can download the first chapter for free and get started reading for free today and see if that's something that might be interesting and helpful for you. Great. Well, how can we pray for you today? I'm going to close this out in prayer. What's on your heart? Right now, honestly, The biggest thing is just that this book would be well-received by the people who need it because I have such a passion for this message. I know God's word can absolutely change lives. I know the power because I have experienced it to some degree. I mean, there's always more, but I've started to experience myself how amazing it is when you fall in love with God's word and when you obey what it says and when you use God's word to lead you and guide you. And that's just something that I want so badly for Christian women and non-Christian women um, all across the globe. So just that this book would go out to the people who need it, that they would be willing to receive it um, and whatever message it is that God has for them today. All right. As of the day that we're recording this, it hasn't come out. It comes out February 1st, right? But um, when this is released, it will have been out. So, you know, listeners, you guys can go right to Amazon or equipping godly women and grab the book. So it's available now. Okay. Well, let's pray. Brittany, thank you so much for being here. This was a great conversation. Well, thank you for having me. 
God, we just thank you for this time to talk about your word. I just thank you so much for Brittany, for her passion, for studying your word and for equipping women with some really practical tools to help them um, establish a quiet time and navigate studying your word in a way that's very accessible and very doable. Lord, we just lift up this book to you. Um, fall in love with God's word. We just pray that your blessing would be on this book, that your anointing would be on it, that it would go out and reach countless women. We pray that uh, Christian women that read it would draw closer to you and grow in their faith and in their knowledge of your word. And we pray that um, that women that don't know you would get a hold of this book and would be introduced to Jesus and that they would become believers, that you would just accomplish salvations through this book. Father, we pray that, um, that it would do immeasurably more than, than Brittany ever could ask or imagine. And that she would look back and, and just be amazed and, and grateful at what you have done through this. We pray that you would just bless her and her family and her home and um, God, just uh, allow her to glorify you in everything that she does. Give her vision and purpose and next steps in her ministry. And uh, we know that you'll do that, God. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you. So please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com slash journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.